Would you please open your Bible to Mark 12? We're going to finish Mark 12 today. While you're turning there, a brief review for those of you who've been here and a quick summary for those who haven't. Jesus had told the Herodians and the Pharisees to give back to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but to give back to God the things that are God's. Later in this chapter, Jesus had told a scribe that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And that the second one, like like it, is to love your neighbor as yourself. In our passage today, Jesus is going to tell his disciples what sacrificial giving looks like. Now, for those of you who haven't come many times before, this is your first time with us, Thank you for being here. This is once of the three times or so that money comes up in Scripture. We don't talk about it every week or anything, but that is this passage that we're dealing with this morning. This is commonly referred to as the widow's mite. This is that true story, in this case, from the Gospel of Mark. So that's what we're going to delve into. Um, The moral of the Scripture reading earlier wasn't that if you don't give, you're going to drop dead. That wasn't what that was about. That was they, they purposed in their hearts to deceive and to be hypocrites. And we know from our study in Mark, God hates hypocrisy. He hates lying. So that's what that was about. The other reason we read that was that Barnabas did something similar to her. He, he sold a piece of property, he gave all. And we're gonna see a lady today who gave all. So would you stand please? And I'm gonna read our passage, just four verses today. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 41. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury, and many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. So he called his disciples to him and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance." But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Let's pray together, please. Our Father, we are thankful for this opportunity to come again to your word, to study it together, to understand it. And that's what we're asking for this morning, that your Holy Spirit would give us understanding, would lead us into all truth, as you've promised to do. We ask that your word would not return void. You've promised it won't. So as we look at this passage, we pray that you would speak to each one of us here. That you would encourage us. That you would convict us according to the need of this hour and the need of our hearts. May we have ears to hear. May we have hearts that are ready and willing to listen and eager to obey, eager to apply what you show us. May we leave here knowing something more of you, knowing something more of ourselves and what you want us to do in response to it. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would anoint, empower, energize me to speak your word accurately this morning, that your message would come through. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
This passage is a little shorter with only four verses today. So my plan is to work our way through these verses. We're going to go a verse at a time. In some cases, briefly, we're going to go a word at a time. But when we finish that, I'm going to give just a little extra time to application at the end. But we're going to go back to verse 41 with this in mind. Our key word, if there's one concept that I want you to walk away with, the key word for this passage is giving. You can make your own case that it's sacrifice. I don't care. Either one would be fine. But that's the key concept here. And the main point I'd like us to see is that God sees and cares how we give. God sees and he cares how we give. Now, there are two points to this outline, two verses for each one. And as you may have already guessed, it's that God sees how we give and God cares how we give. Very simple, not really a complicated story, but I think there are some things culturally and historically that you may not have known. I didn't until I studied it further this week. But we're going to begin with that idea of God sees how we give. Verse 41 says this. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury, and many who were rich put in much. Jesus seated himself opposite the treasury. What has he done? He has left the court of the Gentiles where he has spent probably hours teaching, answering questions, asking one of his own. That's what we studied last time. And he has now gone into the court of the women in Herod's temple. And if you're like me, some of these terms are confusing. It's not that just women could be there. It's that the court of the Gentiles, anybody could go. Court of the women, any Jewish person, any Israelite could go. And then there's a court beyond that where only Israelite men could go. And then, of course, the temple proper where only priests and Levites could go. So he's in the court of the women, and that's where the treasury was. The treasury was 13 chests. And from what I read, they are funnel-shaped openings, kind of like a trumpet. I'll explain that in a second. They stood in the court of the women. And each one was labeled for a specific use. So there would be labels on these containers to say, this one is for, here's some examples according to the Mishnah, new shekel dues, old shekel dues, bird offerings, young birds for the whole offering, wood, frankincense, gold for the mercy seat, and then the rest were free will offering. Why? Because in order to worship God the way he had instructed his people to do, there had to be wood, there had to be incense, there had to be gold. So these are, in some cases, required offerings, we, we've talked in past weeks about the, the offering that all Israelite males had to give, that half-shekel text, tax. And that type of thing was required. And then there were free will offerings for the ways to give just out of your heart. God has moved in my heart and I want to give. That, that's what those would have been for. Now, I tried this week, mostly in vain. I found one image that may be what it looks like. This is one artist's rendering of what this might have been. A box with tubes sticking out of it. Maybe a tube per box. Uh, some people think that they were wooden boxes with actual ram's horns. That's what's pictured here, drilled into the top. Others think that they were brass boxes and the openings just looked like ram's horns, sort of a funnel. So whatever the case, there was a chute in which to deposit your offering and as you put coins in, it seems that most people gave their offering in coins, people around you could both see that you were putting in and they could hear what you were putting in. 
that's a little important to our story. Some worshipers would bring all of the coins that they could carry. They would bring, think, money bags. And, and then you would put them in. And as you put them in, the sound that it would make would be kind of like the opposite of a slot machine. And everybody knows, I'm giving a lot because I am making a lot of noise here. There were some people who did that for the show. They liked hearing their coins clinking and clanking, and more than that, they liked other people hearing their coins clinking and clanking. Our text says that Jesus saw the people put money into the treasury. He sat down on purpose where he could watch. I don't know how many of you like to people watch, but go to an airport, go to a mall or something, just watch people pass by. Well, Jesus did that, but he had a different reason in mind. He wasn't just watching them. There would have been many people in Jerusalem. We've talked about the fact that this week is leading up to Passover. It's that time of year. Many people there, many people coming to give their offering. It would have been busy. But he was there and he watched the people give. Furthermore, we know that he was close enough for him and or his disciples to tell what this widow that we're going to read about gave. Close enough to see her put her offering in. Now first, we see that Jesus saw the people, but I want you to notice the word how. Jesus saw how the people put money into the treasury. David Jeremiah said, how a person gives indicates how much of their heart belongs to God. I didn't say how much a person gives. I said how a person gives. Shows how much of their heart belongs to God. Where it says he saw how people put money into the treasury. Literally, the word money is copper, but it meant money in general. And it says that many who were rich put in much, or your translation might say large amounts. Many people who were rich put in literally many coins of all kinds. Because those who were rich could have afforded, perhaps, to give gold coins or silver coins or bronze coins in addition to what most people were doing, giving copper coins. In fact, I read that some of them may have taken their gold and silver coins and converted them to copper so that it would make more of a sound, make more of a show. Now, going back to the idea of those who were rich, isn't that kind of what we would expect? That those who have means would give a lot? That's kind of what we'd expect. Those who are rich are going to put in much. People who are rich and increase in this world's goods are able to give much. So before we move on to the widow, I'd like to focus just a moment on 1 Timothy 6. I would invite you to turn there if you'd like to. I'm going to put some verses on the screen for us. 1 Timothy 6, why are we looking at this? Because I don't want to go away from this passage with the idea that if God give someone money, that that's bad. It's not that the people were bad or evil or doing anything wrong because they had money to give. Let's look and see what Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 6. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, 
and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I'm going to stop there for a moment. So the point is not that money itself is bad. Obviously, we have, I don't know how many people, but 40 people, something like that, in the room right now. Some of you have more material goods than others. That's, that's not a problem. The problem is when our heart is set on those things. Did you notice the command at the beginning there in, in verse 6? Godliness with contentment is great gain. Just having a bunch of money, that's not great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And he goes on to say that the trap is desiring to be rich. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. Those who want just a little bit more, or if only I had this, or if only I had that, or if only I could afford, that's discontent. That's covetousness. That's sinful. And then verse 10, it's not that money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's that the love of money, it's the pursuit of money. Oh, I, I have to have more. I want to get more. Lord, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. That's going to lead to all kinds of evil is what the scripture says. Let's read a little bit more. I'm going to skip down to verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, not to be proud, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. I'm going to stop there for a second. Command those who are rich not to be proud, not to be puffed up, not to be exalted because of their riches. And what's more, don't trust in your riches. If the Lord has blessed you material at some point and you've lived long enough, you've probably experienced, okay, that downturn in the economy or that didn't work out or that was a really stupid thing I did with money and I lost that. It comes and it, it goes, right? It does. So we better not put our trust in that. We better put our trust in the God who has blessed us, not in the riches themselves. You will be very disappointed. Don't trust in uncertain riches, but instead trust in the living God who does what? Gives us richly all things to enjoy. So does that mean if he's blessed me that I'm just here to enjoy these things? Eat, drink, and be merry, Right? Well, it goes on, doesn't it? Verse 18, let them do good. Those who are rich, let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold of eternal life. Does that mean that if you're generous with your money that you're going to go to heaven? No, that's not what that's saying either. But what it's saying is that because... God has extended such goodness to me in saving me. I desire to honor him with my life, with my substance, with my material means. I am going to be generous with others. What is the command there? Do good. Be rich in good works. Be ready to give, be willing to share. And the rest of it matches pretty closely what Jesus said. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt, and thieves do not break through and steal. So what are we saying here? Just pausing in our passage in Mark long enough to say that money itself is not wrong. 
Our attitude toward money can be a real problem. It can be a stumbling block. It can be a temptation to sin. So money's not wrong. Having money is not wrong. But what we do with our money reveals our heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. That's the words of Jesus. And these passages that I was reading in 1 Timothy 6 command us to be content with what we have, to do good with what we have, and to share what we have. Now, let's go back to our passage in Mark. Jesus sees when we give. This isn't just there so that we know that he saw those people on that day. Fact is that God sees when we give. And I guess this would be a good time to stop and explain. Yes, that would include what you give to a church ministry, but I'm talking about you give to a poor person. You give to somebody you know has a need, some medical bills they weren't expecting and you're trying to help out, or the bill that they can't pay, the electricity, or they need grocery money, and you're helping out with that. I'm talking about all the types of giving that we do. not limiting it to church or missions, though those are good. I'm, I'm trying to make this much broader than that. So he sees when we give, he notices how we give. He observes it. Verse 42. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrance. First word I want you to pay attention to is one. The phrase is one poor widow, but there is one. She is there in contrast to how many rich were they? Previous verse. He saw there were many. So we have the many who are rich. We have the one poor widow. It says that she was poor. And that Greek expression there is talking about extreme poverty. This means that she was desperately poor. Somebody said financially destitute like a beggar. You would expect this woman to be coming to the temple to receive something. She is poor. She is needy. You would expect her to be coming for the soup kitchen. Not that there was one at the temple, but she's coming for a handout. She's coming to receive charity, not to give it. We wouldn't expect her to give something. We wouldn't have, expect her to have anything to give. And then she is a widow. We've talked some about widows. But how did Jesus know she was a widow? Jesus is God. He knows all things. So it could have been omniscience. He knows all things, so he knows she's a widow. But it's possible that he knew apart from that because at least one place in the Old Testament, back in Genesis 38 with Tamar, we know that widows wore distinctive clothing. So it could be that she was wearing the clothing of a widow, and it could be that they knew she was poor. She hasn't given anything yet. So how would, well, maybe her widow's garments are very torn and tattered and old. So as Jesus sat opposite the treasury, he sat there on purpose to see how people were giving. And he saw many rich people, and they gave a lot. And that's kind of what we would expect. The rich people are coming. Some of them, I'm sure, had good motives, and they were doing it humbly, and they were doing it out of a heart of love for God. And others were there just to put on a show and make sure everybody noticed how much they gave. But now in contrast to that, we have one poor widow coming. Now, a quick review from last week. If you want to look up your column, verse 40, 
Jesus warned against following the example of the scribes. And do you remember one of the things he said is that they devour what? Widows' houses. Now, I'm not suggesting, I don't know any Bible student who's saying that this was one of those widows. No, not necessarily, but that was their attitude toward widows. They didn't care. They were there to exploit, to get everything they could for the temple, and ultimately to get everything they could for themselves, to use their position, their power to their advantage. Not good. But I'll ask the same question I asked last week. Does God care about widows? Yes. Absolutely. Did Jesus care about this widow? Yes. Yes. There are many passages I could take us to, but I'm going to pick one. This is Psalm 68, 5. It describes God as a father of the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy habitation. Who's the defender of widows? God says he is. Who is the father to the fatherless? God says he is. He will fill that role. He will protect those who are vulnerable. It says that this one poor widow came and threw in two mites. That's not like dust mites, spiders. That is a particular Greek word used for the smallest denomination of a Jewish coin. It was a copper coin. To us, it would be kind of like a penny. The smallest denomination that we have in U.S. currency is a penny. And because Mark was writing to a Roman audience, he explains in Roman terminology, how much was this? Well, it was a quadrons. Is that cleared up for everybody? It it was a quadrons. All right, good. Let's keep going. Now, a quadrons was a Roman coin, and it was equal to one sixty-fourth of a denarius. Now, a denarius we've at least heard of before. I don't know if you remember, but a denarius is what a Roman soldier would get paid for a day or what a day laborer would get for a day. So it was a day's wage. So I went to a website and pulled off an average annual salary for Brunswick County in 2020, and it was a little bit above 48000 But I'm going to pick 48000 because that round number works well with my math that I'm going to share with you. 48000 comes out to 24 an hour. 24 an hour times 8 hours in a day is 192 in a day. I'm going to divide that by 64 because it's 1 64th of that. Guess where we end up? $3. That's what she had. $3. We're going to find out that's all she had. Kent Hughes wrote, though she didn't know Jesus was watching, she knew that God saw her. And that was whom she came to please. She was living out the Shema, loving God with all she had. She was silently saying to God, I love you and all I have is yours. Here is my heart. Here is my life. Now, whether you're the oldest person here or you're the youngest person here, whether you're the richest person here or the poorest person here, if you give what you have to God out of love and worship for him, he's pleased. He's pleased with that. Say, how do you know that, Bob? Let's keep going. We're going into verse 43, and for any of you trying to take notes, this is starting our second point. God cares how we give. Verse 43, so he called his disciples to himself and said to them, assuredly, I say to you that this poor woman, this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, 
But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Now that phrase at the beginning, when he starts talking, he, he calls his disciples over. Come here, guys. Come here. I want you to see, I want to tell you about something. This is important. How do we know it's important? Because how he starts out. Assuredly, I say to you. Your translation may say, verily, I say to you. It might say, truly, I say to you. But this is a little phrase, a little formula that tips us off. What he's about to say is very important. It is truth. It is authoritative. Coming from Jesus, the Son of God, he's going to tell us something important. Listen up, pay attention. That's what he's saying. What does he say? This poor widow, he identifies her the same way as the description in the previous verse, this poor widow has put in more than all. Now, on first reading, you may think, Jesus is saying that she gave more than that guy and that guy and that guy. That's not what it says. The word is all. He's saying she has given more than all of them combined. All of them. You say, that's not true. That math doesn't work. No, he's not talking about math. When God looks at what we give, he is much more interested in the heart with which we give it and what we have left over when we've given. And that's how he's telling us she has put in more than all the others put together. Why? Because they gave out of their abundance. Is there anything wrong with having abundance? No. Is there anything wrong with giving out of your abundance? No. But she's giving sacrificially. And that pleases the Father. There's nothing sacrificial about their giving. Someone said, the Lord measures our giving not by what we give, but by what we keep for ourselves. It may be no big deal for some of you in the room to write a check for $1,000 to a ministry, to a missionary. That may not be a big deal to you. There are other people in the room that writing a check for $10 would be an enormous deal to you. But the point isn't really how much. It's the heart of the giver and how, in this case, she is giving. Because it says, she has given her whole livelihood. Another translation, all she had to live on. Practically speaking, this probably means that when she gave both coins, she wasn't required to do that. We wouldn't expect her to do that. When she gave both coins, she probably wasn't going to eat again until she received something else or until she worked and earned more money. She is demonstrating dependence on her Heavenly Father. She is doing this out of love. She is doing this with a sacrificial heart. She has completely entrusted herself to God's care. Now, I don't know if you've put yourself in that kind of place before. I have never done anything like this. And what I'm going to say is not to brag on myself or my family. When we moved here, many of you know, I didn't have a job. The money we had to live on was from the sale of our house. And as I was thinking through it, I was thinking, okay, yeah, we had a little bit in our retirement fund that we could have gotten to if we had to. So we weren't dealing with what she was. But the reason I bring that up is that that was a year plus of our life that we were dependent in God, on God in a way we had not been. There was no income for months. 
And looking at it from a human perspective, there's a lot of pressure in that. But something that God taught me then and has been teaching me since is that the illusion that I'm the provider for my family is false. Yes, it is my obligation with God's help to provide for my family. That's in the Bible. But I'm not the one doing the providing. God is my provider. He is the one who takes care of his children. Isn't it the psalmist who said, I, I am old, I, I was young, now I'm old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread? It's not that we won't face hardship. Have we not talked about that in recent weeks? It's not that it's just going to be a, a bed of roses. But he's going to take care of our needs. And if you put yourself in a position like this woman did, I'm dependent on you, God. I'm completely dependent on you, and I acknowledge that. If you're doing it according to his will, you're not just going out doing something foolish for the sake of impressing people. He's going to bless that. He's going to care for you. Those of you who have been in that type of situation in your life, it is a scary and yet wonderful thing to be in a position where if God doesn't show up, you're sunk. And you know it. And he comes through. And you get to brag on him and glorify him. So before we leave our four verses here, I'm going to say one more thing. And that's that I think part of what pleased Jesus about her heart is that it foreshadowed what he was about to do. Because it says that she gave everything. She gave all she had. What did he do just a few days later? He died on the cross. He gave his life for us who were not worthy, who were his enemy at that time, is what Ephesians tells us. We were dead in trespasses and sins. He died for us. He gave everything for us. And there's a little bit of foreshadowing there, I think, in what this woman has done. She's given everything she had. He's about to do that. That's, that's the heart of the father. That's the heart of the son. I'd like to talk a little bit more about how we should give. Because I don't want anyone to walk out of here thinking that this passage is teaching or Bob said that we have to give everything we have every time. If I go out of church and my pockets have anything in them, then that's wrong. That's not what I'm saying. Please don't think that. That may not be the way this poor widow lived. We know of this one time when she gave everything. That may have been her habit, or that may have been the one time and that got recorded for us in Scripture. I don't know. But how should we give? That's a fair question, and I want to answer it a few different ways. How should we give? These are all have Scripture. I'm not going to have you turn to all of them. I'm just going to give you excerpts of these verses. But the first answer, I believe, is primarily. These are all going to be adverbs. Primarily. If we don't make a point to give to God first we will likely not have anything left. You've been there? If you don't make a plan, if you don't have some kind of idea of a budget, it's going to be gone. You're not going to know where it went. So Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says, honor the Lord with your possessions. Yes, that's good. That's what we've been talking about. And with the first fruits of all your increase. That means give to him first. Make a priority of giving to God. Make a priority of giving to those less fortunate. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. 
Second, give willingly. How should we give? We should give willingly. Giving is an act of worship. God desires for us to give out of a heart of worship for him. I love you, God. I want to give you back some of the wonderful blessing you have given to me. At the dedication of the temple, Solomon has a long prayer. Read it sometime. It's in 1 Chronicles 29. But in verse 14, he says, Who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? God, what an amazing privilege you're giving for us to be able to give willingly to you for the building of this house, to take care of this place. For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. New Testament example, 2 Corinthians 8, 12. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. I know I'm jumping into these verses without giving you a lot of context, but what that's saying is that if I have a heart to give, I'm willing to give. This is a great promise. God accepts based on what I desire to give. What I can give, not based on what I can't give. So if I recognize the Lord hasn't blessed me materially the way he's blessed that person. That person's giving a lot. I can't do that. That's fine. I'm willingly giving based on what the Lord has given me. We'll come back to that in a minute. How about this one? Cheerfully. We're supposed to give happily. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. And you'll notice several of these verses come out of 2 Corinthians 8, 2 Corinthians 9. Those are great passages to read if you're trying to study out what the Bible says about giving. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, So let each one of us give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver, literally a hilarious giver. This is fun. I get to give to this need. I get to give to this missions project. I get to help this person who wasn't going to eat if I don't give some money for groceries. That's fun. Thank you. One other person thinks it's fun. I know you guys do this. I know some of you have shared with me. So I know this is happening. But guys, we don't do it just because it's fun, but it is. I would discourage you from giving anything to our church if it's just, oh man, I have to do this. Don't do that. Do something else with your money. If you can give joyfully, God has blessed me. I want to have this money bless others. I get to participate in that. That's what we're talking about. Give cheerfully. Somebody illustrated it this way. When I write a check to the IRS, the IRS doesn't care if I'm giving happily. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes, okay, most of the time, I'm not. But with the Lord, he cares. He cares how we give. How many times can I say that today? If I give away all that I have, Paul wrote, if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Don't do it with the wrong motive. Do it, obey the Lord, but do it with the right motive. How often should we give? That's another way to answer the question, how we give. I believe the answer is regularly. What does that mean? For you, that might be 
weekly or bi-weekly or monthly, but typically when you get paid. Those of you who are young people, if you do chores around the house or you get an allowance, then it's, it's when you receive money. Because remember where we started? We're going to give primarily. So when I receive money, what can I do with money? I can spend, I can save, I can give. So with what I give, let me plan and do that first. And so it, it would be different for all of us, right? When we receive money, it might be monthly. Or, so when you get paid, when you receive money, that's typically when you would give. And whether that's giving in person at church or whether that's doing that online, that, that's not so important. But where are you getting that, Bob? It is in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must also do. On the first day of the week, that's what was acceptable then. That's when they were meeting. Let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. So you may read that and decide, the way that applies to me is I'm going to give something every week. That's fine. You pray about it. You study it out. You do whatever the Holy Spirit leads you to do. But there's, there's going to be some regularity to it. And here's the question some of you have been waiting for. How much should I give? How much do I have to give? Well, that's the wrong question to begin with. Come back to the other ones. How much should I give? Well, it should be sacrificial. That's pretty clear from the passage we've been looking at in Mark. Here are a couple other examples. 2 Samuel 24. David had demanded that there be a census, and it wasn't one God had asked for. So count the people. I want to know how many people there are. I want to know how prepared we are for battle. I want to know how much we're going to have in tax revenue. Go do a census. And it wasn't of the Lord. And as a result, the Lord sent a prophet and said, there's punishment coming. And that punishment came in this case, it was a plague. But part of what David was supposed to do in response to the discipline he received, he was supposed to go buy a threshing floor from a guy named Ornan. So he went to buy the threshing floor, and as soon as Ornan found out what, what was up, he said, no, no, I'll give, you can have the land. In fact, you can have the oxen that I was using here. You can have the wood to make the fire. I'm giving it all to you. Does that sound familiar from today? That's a good inclination, right? That's the same as the widow. That's the same as Barnabas we talked about earlier. I'm giving all of it. That's Ornan saying that. And David says, yeah, I'm getting a bargain. Is that what he said? This is 1 Samuel 24, 24. No, David says, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. There was sacrifice involved. The idea wouldn't be, oh, I found this $50 bill on the sidewalk. That's what I'm going to give to God. It's that there's sacrifice involved. The other one here, how much should I give? It should be proportionate. It should be appropriate for the resources with which God has blessed us. This is from 2 Corinthians 8, the beginning of the chapter this time. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. 
For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. So this is both proportionate giving and sacrificial giving in this verse. They were very poor. In some ways, probably like the widow that we read about today. But they gave according to their ability. And Paul doesn't stop there. And they even gave beyond their ability. Wouldn't you say that's what this widow did? According to her ability, might have been, I mean, I would be surprised if she gave anything. But here's one of the coins. But no, she gave beyond her ability. This is everything. This is all of it. That's what we have here. One last passage, 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7. But this I say, he who spares, who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That verse is not saying what we read in the second verse today, that many who are rich put in much. Well, you would expect the people who have a lot, they're going to give a lot. That's not what this verse says. Based on whatever the Lord has given you, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. And if you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully, regardless of whether you have only this much or you have this much. The principle holds for everyone, those who would be rich by the world's standards and those who would be poor. Those are some descriptions of how we should give, how often we should give, how much we should give from the Bible. Not my opinion, what the Bible says. Some of you are probably still wondering, well, does he think we should tithe? I personally don't see a command to tithe in the New Testament. I see a command to give. Haven't we read a bunch of verses already? So I'm not hung up on the amount. If the Lord lays on your heart, I'm going to give 6%, fine. If he says, give 20%, then give 20%. Those who want to get really strict on that, well, it's 10%. Yeah, it was. In the Old Testament, there was one time of year they gave 10%, another time of year they gave 10%, and another time they gave about 3%. And if you add that up, you get about 22%. So if you want to get really strict on it, you just go with 22%, okay? The point isn't the percentage. But as God has blessed you, are you eager to give that, share that with others, to give to him and his kingdom? That's what's going on here. Kent Hughes said, God does not want our money. He wants us. Yet, we cannot give ourselves to him apart from our money. 2 Corinthians 8.5 says, they first gave themselves to the Lord. That's what this lady had done. Bob's opinion, just for the moment. If you've given yourself to the Lord, money's not a big deal. If my heart is his, if I've dedicated myself to him, Romans 12, 1, my money will follow. If you switch around what Jesus said, where your heart is, your treasure will be. Because where your treasure, your heart will be also. That's what he said. I'm going to close with this illustration. It's a lady named Esther. Most of you have never met Esther, and most of you will never meet Esther. She was the organist at the church where we came from in Maryland. And when we announced that we were going to move here to plant the church, she said, I don't have very much. But I want to give toward what God is doing in North Carolina. And she did. I cheated and looked at Facebook to find out she's 87 years old. 
And for about the last nine years, once a month, when I went to the post office box, there would be a little envelope there. And from this widow is a check for $25. And that's a lot. She would die if she knew I said that. But she has given so faithfully for someone who doesn't have a lot. And that's what God has designed because the church is a body. And from those who have very little, they give. And from those who have a lot, they give. And God makes up the difference because he's the one who's giving it all to us to begin with. God sees and God cares how we give. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I'm not going to give any kind of invitation this morning, but while you're sitting there with your eyes closed, your heads bowed, I'm just going to give you some questions to ask yourself. Are you all in for God? Have you given him all of yourself? If not, let today be the day that you are going to recognize that my life is a living sacrifice to him. Maybe you've done that before, maybe it's time to do it again. Being a living sacrifice, we sometimes crawl off the altar and need to get back on. What about your money? Are you honoring him with your substance? Are you honoring him with your first fruits? Are you generous? It's been a prayer of my heart for a decade now or so that God would help me to be generous, that he would allow me to give to others the way I've seen other believers do, the, the examples I want to follow. Are you sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit on how you spend your time, your money, your resources, your talents, your abilities? He'll show you. It's not anything I know or I'm trying to get you to do. You just follow what he shows you to do. And then last, I would say for anyone in the room, anyone online, if this is new to you, then just for the moment, forget the money. It's about God's love for us. How do we know God loves us? One way we know God loves us, I think the principal way we know God loves us, is that he gave. What did he give? God gave his only son. Why? So that we would not perish. Why would we have perished? Because sin separates us from God, and we don't have any way to deal with our sin on our own. So he sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, to pay the penalty for my sin, so that we wouldn't perish, but that we would have everlasting life. How does that happen? I believe on him. And there's nothing more important we could talk about today than, do you know who Jesus is? Is he your savior? If you have questions about that, we would love to talk with you about that and show you other verses to explain the good news about him. Father, you know the needs represented here. There could be financial needs represented in this room, Lord, and I pray that we as your church would be eager to help with them. But Lord, would you direct very clearly? You know my heart. 
I am not trying to guilt anyone into anything. But I do pray that we would be obedient to whatever your Holy Spirit leads us to do. That we would be faithful. Lord, you've said in your word that it's required in stewards, in managers, that we be found faithful. So I pray that we would be faithful. We live in a country, we live in an area where you have blessed us so much more than what we see around us in other parts of the world. We are rich. And so I pray that you would give us hearts of generosity like your heart, like the heart of Jesus. Lord, we can't do that on our own. So we're humbly asking for your help to obey what you have shown each person here this morning according to answered prayer. We've asked you to speak to us. So in as much as you've spoken to us from your word, may we obey. May we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.